Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. So Ray is away on vacation, so today's podcast has two guest contributors. I know when you're thinking, when does Ray actually do any work? It's a question we've been asking ourselves for a long time. And the conclusion is he just jack all around here. So today we're going to be discussing risk in the current market, especially with the volatility and how you can mitigate that on a development project. We have a returning esteemed guest from the US with Paris, who adds up our advisory team on the lender developer side from Pennsylvania, and another guest who's a lot less esteemed, who's joining us from Scotland in an actual pub, is Jack, who ends up our development management team for North America. Actually, usually he lives in Calgary, but today he's in Scotland to watch the powerhouse of world football. I know what you're thinking, Man U, Real Madrid, PSG Rangers. No, nope, Inverness Thistle. They could be often found <laughs> playing in front of 700 wild fans are going to beat Celtic in the weekend in the cup final. And he has a thing for really terrible cocktails, like our, just like our other thing, Scotsman Colin Doran, who was also not born in Scotland. Gents, do you want to do a quick introduction to yourselves? You want to go first, Harris? Yeah, I'm Marissa Rahman. I'm based in the US and taking care of development advisory for the group. Uh, it's been busy start for me lately and hopefully looking forward to a robust start towards the end of the to the end of the year, right to the next year. You want to go, Jack? Yeah, hi, Jack McGowan. I'm uh, head of the Development Management Project Management section of Altus. I'm, I'm based in Calgary and I look after project management. So we live in contradictory times, demand for housing is at an all-time high, but developers across North America are struggling with a constantly changing environment. And that can be from the entitlement approval stage, interest rate increases, supply chain challenges, labor shortages, construction costs, sustainability, climate change, the list is almost endless. So we've got two experts today on risk. We know risk is huge. How are we going to navigate the depths of hell, referring to somewhere like Toronto, the relative paradise that is Texas, or the rain of the West Coast with Seattle and Vancouver, and then the snow of Calgary? So in the chat before the podcast, Jack, you mentioned that you often see five key risks that you're always looking at in any development or project. Do you want us to walk us through those? Sure. The first one, I guess, is risk identification and assessment. So you've got to, you've got to look at what you're doing and where you're doing it and identify that risk so that you can try then, number two, to try and mitigate that risk with contingency planning, etc. Then most clients will be looking to transfer that risk from themselves to the people who deserve that risk, which is the people who are doing the work, etc. And so then that, that leads into the risk avoidance. So the client's trying to avoid that risk by passing it on to the people who should be having that risk at the time. And then finally, risk monitoring and controls where you would monitor the risk during the project and then you would try and control those outcomes and maybe any, any risks that do come up. So if we work, if we work on those assumptions, the, the, the five key risks and the way we go about it, what advice would you give to an individual company or a developer or a person with a development site in terms of first steps to avoid those risks or mitigating? And how would you see the difference between private and public sphere changing that? Ferris, you want to go first as we got the introduction from Jack? Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Jack, for the, for the brief outlook of what we should be expecting in this type, time, in this time that we're living in right now. 
Uh, you very well put on all those uh, major items, but when you go to the nitty gritties of those, they change from project to project and develop to developer and market to market. Obviously, we are living in, we, we have these, this change is such a constant issue right now in, in every segment of what we, you, you just mentioned in terms of those highlighted, like on the, on the, on the larger picture. So right now we're living in this, obviously construction spiking, construction costs and the liquidity crunch, which is which we are facing and we are, we will be hearing a lot about it too. So financial slow payments obviously could be an issue too down the road. Not right now, but again, these are issues we typically hear and we are hearing right now too. The other side is the operational or the project risk as well. So scheduled delays and delays, lack of funding, for example, think, things of that nature, which is, which is happening too. And then on the larger economic picture, you have your inflation. Then you have your escalation and then likely the recession factor in, which is, which is a talk, but it's not being, it's a muted discussion, but it's, it's happening as, as we know. Uh, on the legal and contract side, obviously there is a, there's a risk factor too. How to mitigate that risk is the next thing, like how to, how can the contract, like the developers, subcontractors and subcontractors can, can safeguard their interests basically by having some specific clauses in this change time that we are in right now to safeguard their interests. And then obviously the predictive estimating and any use of robust artificial intelligence per se, and the, and the use of data, how to analyze your internal data and how to predict it in this. And, and it all depends on the input factors too. And, and that is the key, in my opinion, in, in this risk identification per se, which is the biggest thing that we have to identify the risks on, on larger scale. And then you can focus on, you can narrow down on your project particulars per se. I'd let Jack add to start, add something to that too. Yeah. So obviously if you're looking at going into a different area for where you're just still understanding everything about your master space, suddenly you've got to consider a number of things like the regulatory framework that you're stepping into, making sure that you understand what you're stepping into and how that is going to affect any product that you're going to be delivering in that market. The environmental, environmental considerations, you're going to be pretty certain that if, if you're moving into a new area, those considerations, whether it's a government regulations that are changing in those environmental considerations, you're going to have to take that into account. Building codes and standards change from province to province, state to state, and also from if you're moving from Canada to the US or whatever in those markets, that would be a big consideration that you're going to have to look at. Project financing and procurement is also very different in those different areas. From, say, for instance, from Montreal to, to Calgary, it is quite a different model on how you're going to fund that and who's going to be in those, those areas. And also cultural and social factors, because um, that's going to be quite a different step in different direction in different areas as well. So you've jumped ahead and answered the next question, not really addressed the actual question, which is, I'm a new developer, I've got a site, saving an area right now, what's the first advice you'd give to mitigate the volatility in the market right now, Jack? So say a client comes to you, says, can you guys help me out? What is it you're telling that new client they need to do when they're looking at a site? Well, understand the market. I think you've got to understand the market where you're in the new area that you're going into. That's what you're asking, is it, Mark? Kind of, because you're worried about if you're moving from location registry, but if you were to start development today and say you know the market, what do you do to make, get your risk so you don't get screwed when you get into construction? You're not going to have problems getting through the approval process. Because clients can understand the market. Say I'm in Calgary. I know the market. But how do I get that development from an idea in my head 
and mitigate all of these volatility risks I see and hopefully end up in five years with a project that's finished. Planning, I would imagine. Identification of those risks is critical, as I said before. How you, how you then move that on to getting uh, your project going ahead would be depending on how you mitigate those risks. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, we spoke about moving around. So I'm a developer from the US when it comes to Canada, or I'm a developer that wants to go from Canada heading south. We spoke about some of the regulatory changes, but how hard is it to do that, do you think? And how do you manage the risk of going into that new environment that you completely don't know now? So Europe, you know how to do development, you know the whole process, you know how it works. I think we had a discussion about boots on the ground and stuff in the previous, the previous discussion. What's the best way to go into a new market and make sure it succeeds in terms of making sure you get your risk covered and you got the right structure in place to get it done? Certainly. I mean, I can add to that. I can add to that because first, first of all, like you, you got to know the market, which, which you're getting into, and you got to know your product very well too, what you're trying to do as a developer or as a, as a, as a team that you, you know, your product better than anybody. And obviously you're going to a new market. It might not be the same product or the same, same requirements for that local market that you're used to, for example, a developer coming from Canada to us would be, would be expecting a lot of, a lot of factors. Uh, first of all, the market is very different here too. As Jack had mentioned earlier, your regulatory environment is very different and it's very state to state climatic conditions per se, coming from Calgary or, 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 or from there to Florida, for example, or Texas, or you, you'd be, you'd be up for a big climate related issues that you might be dealing with, which, which again, translates back into your regulatory environment, your, your building codes, your local, local, local product, how, how you are trying to position that. So it all depends on your market, marketing data. So marketing data is the first key, which is very readily available in the U.S. And that is one of the first stopping point of any developer who comes here, uh, which is your job GIS system based, which profile, which provides you profiles and trends of the overall market. And then you can focus on your niche product. Let's say if, if you're going for a multifamily, senior living, mixed use, it gives you trends of the trends overall, micro, macro conditions as well. So that is me starting to say, you gotta, you gotta have that information before you go in for any land deal, for example. So typically that we, we get across people at the land development stage, obviously land acquisition is the first stage that is, and then again, knowing the local people as well. So you have to think locally, but act globally, as we, as we say in our, in, in our, do it at times, particularly when you are when you're a developer working overseas and in, in the US, Canada, or, 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 or in an international player. So you got to team up with a national firm who has local presences. That's what I tell everybody. That is the key. You know, yeah, and Jack, on Friday, yeah, on Friday, Jack, we, we, we had a meeting discussing some of the project management approaches and stuff like that. And one of the things you, were, you guys were a huge advocate on, on the planning side is actually coming up with a project-specific plan that addresses the risks, addresses the delivery, and so it captures some of the stuff Barry said about boots on the ground, knowing the market, doing the data. How do those project plans sort of work in helping you? You know, I, I got a new development, I've got a plan ahead for it. How would that plan help you create sort of a roadmap that deals with what Barris has said, but also helps them move through a project knowing where they're going next? I, I think just jumping back to your question about moving into a different area as well. And one of the successful models that we've seen is when people do go into new markets, they don't venture with someone in that marketplace who can provide that advice. And that's, that's what we see as a very successful 
model in see people coming into the Calgary markets. But then the, the project plan thing you're talking about is in consultation with the clients. We, we go through everything that will affect you on that project with the local knowledge and bring in their knowledge of what their product is so that it can fit the market. Because, I mean, every, every project has to fit the market that you're going into. And if, if obviously if the client isn't tailoring that so the local market that he's going into, it's going to be a little bit difficult and successful in that model. Yeah. I, I might add something to that. Yeah. So on the speculative side, so we're talking about speculative building per se versus, versus building, which, which you will be selling, for example. Uh, we have buyers already, or, or so that we see a lot of speculative building as well in the U.S. Particularly, be it any sector, multifamily, be it warehouses, be it except the healthcare and the and the, like a real end user based products. In general, you will see a lot of speculative building, and and it works well. But again, there are so many other external factors that that can affect those projects when you're speculatively building these. And most developers, as we know, they are speculative builders, anyways, right? Yeah, so we work at Allus, we understand change. Now, implementation resistance can often get way more complicated than it should do. How important is it to deal with that change and that change management if you're looking at going into new markets and whatnot? Is that going to be a massive challenge, actually changing your whole mindset as a company as you move into a different province, a different state, a different country even? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're, as office, we're actually looking at heading into new markets as well. And, you know, we, you know, yourself, you've been involved for a long time. We've looked at this change a number of different times, and sometimes it's been successful, and other times it's not. And it comes down to the commitment of the company for that change, making sure that the resources are provided for that change, and that the product that you're actually bringing to that new market is actually what fits that market. There's no point. You know, it's, it, if you're track fishing and throw points and bringing the wrong fly at the wrong time of year, you need to make sure it's project specific and it's very tailored to what you're trying to do at that time in the marketplace. So you have to be very sure on that. Jack just outlined some of the challenges it's used with change management. What, do you, what are your thoughts on those, Faris? Well, one thing I see in terms of the change management, it all depends. As a, as a starting point, data is the key to, to all of us. And at Altus, we take, take pride in that, that we are, we have large data, large amount of data. Now it, it all depends on how you, how we manipulate that data for, for the benefit of the client and present them the best case scenarios and the worst case scenarios too. So I think going forward, data is becoming central. Uh, artificial intelligence and the, and the inputs to the project management and the, in the feasibility and pre-construction phase, that's becoming more, more of a profound change that we have to adapt. And it's happening very fast too. As I, as we, we talked to people, I was recently at a busy place and met a lot of people throughout the country and, and, and this is happening and, and, and we should be bracing that. And companies like Altus have, a, I'd say we have a leverage for a lot of other clients in how we can, we can address those clients' issues and provide them with more, more of a, more of a scenario planning per se. That's okay, how it's so, so big data and stuff, everyone likes to talk about that, but in terms of project management, managing risk, development management, 
how important is experience or boots on the ground versus data? Isn't data just the starting point? You still need that experience and that, those boots on the ground and that senior advisory process to move through. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from a development team perspective, like every, every development team has two major components where you have your development, development team at the beginning, and then you have your construction team, which, which implements those. So there is the, the alignment of those teams at the beginning of the job and how you proceed and, and team up with the local players and align your project goals with the, with the overall uh, profitability and your risk profiles, et cetera, for the job. And then again, knowing the local market is very important. For example, like a project could have significant cost, offsite costs, for example, which may or may not be in anywhere. Utility costs could be huge nowadays too for, for, the, for the sites, for example. Your environmental risk, as Jack had mentioned, and your local regulatory soils, soil conditions could be huge costs as well. So having those, that information up front through the local teams and local players who know the market well, but anybody, and, and have been working in those markets for a longer time, could be of a great input to you to, to mitigate those risks and see if that, that project is even feasible or fits in your, fits your billet at all. So did you want to answer uh, that question? I just had a good, I just, so I just had a good thought on that though. You were talking about experience though. You know, when we're looking for experienced people in the marketplace, you know, you want someone who gets up in the morning, 80% of what they see in that day, they've seen before. Therefore, whatever challenges they get, I mean, that's what clients are looking for people on the ground. So that if there's anything coming out, we've actually dealt with it before. So it's just a case of bringing that muscle memory back in and making it work for those clients. So that's very important. I have a question, Jack, actually, slightly off topic, though. Obviously, you've worked all over the world to a degree, and you've been in the Middle East. How do you find the, the approach to risk and whatnot in North America is compared to, say, the Middle East or the other areas you've actually had experience in? Yeah, it, it does vary in the different marketplaces. And in the Middle East, I guess the government type is a bit different because it's a very long range, 30 year plan where they're developing whole areas and there's a lot of money. So you do find that they're more, they're more accepting of risk of building things in the middle of the desert, for instance, as opposed to, uh, say, Calgary in the middle of 2017 to 19, recession there, people were not developing. It was quite a, it was quite a dry period for development. People thought there's always development going on, but it wasn't as robust as it could have been. And so I, I do think that the, the model for risk in the Middle East is, is quite a bit more aggressive than it, it would be. And maybe the tolerance of whether it makes money or not, is, is less so in the Middle East. They're building. Now, we did a number of different hotels. Of course, they're going to make money, but you know, the, the scope and size of these buildings is just vast. Eighty-story. I did a, an eight-story building in Dubai called the Index Parent, also the Ritz Carlton and BIFC, with the same client at the same time. So that that exception goes that with. Far greater, it seems to me, there than it would be the tolerance that they would So, is that a flaw in North America? Because obviously, I'd say Canadians are probably the most risk adverse. Our zoning reflects that. Our approach to building reflects that. I would say the US is somewhere in between the Middle East and Canada, and different states have different 
risk acceptance and different, more entrepreneurial approach. Is it a flaw when we know we have a housing problem in Canada and the US that we are so risk adverse and we have a lack of willingness on both the government side to push private, help mitigate that risk and just get it done? I think so. I, I think so. I, I, I think that we need to be a little bit braver in building larger projects that really do change the landscape of where we're working. And I get very excited when we're doing when I've been involved in these really large projects that really make a difference to the area and the city that we're building, as opposed to in Calgary or, or Edmonton or the prairies like that, uh, where it does seem to be a little bit less exciting, perhaps. I'll probably get yeah. in trouble for saying that. But no, um, I think that's you know, right. No, I, I, I think also we've got, we've got a huge housing problem across the country. And yet we still don't seem to be able to make the big decisions that, that should change that, you know, hey, let's, let's just spend the money, get the stuff built. And we, we know that, uh, CMHC and the government money hasn't really trickled down to these affordable housing projects. For instance, and we're a little bit above that. There, yeah. There's just not enough housing. And Faris, when you sit down in the U.S., obviously you mentioned earlier on, there's a, a lot more speculation in the housing market down in the U.S. I mean, you're not having to get 70% of deposits before you go flying off and stuff, because that's our way of mitigating risk up north. But in, in the U.S., do you think it's more entrepreneurial? But maybe, you know, Canada could learn a little bit from the U.S. Maybe U.S. could learn a little bit about risk avoidance after the meltdown right. in 2009. But No, I think the, the issue in the U.S. is mainly the funding and, and the markets. So the lax the markets are, the more the speculative trends in the construction industry, robustness we have seen. Likewise, in 2008, it was bollocks. And now lately, since the 2018, but Frank Bill, when it was lax for, for the major banks. So the regional banks picked up and we saw a lot of, lot of, lot of building in CRE, particularly sector. And, and that, that is impacting the overall banking sector and it's impacting the lending right now, which is again, slowing down your construction progress, particularly on the multifamily side, which is more lender finance as well. So it, 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 it's, it should be a combination. I think when I came in from the U.S. side, I saw, uh, mostly I saw is like, it's a, uh, it's, it's a little bit risk takers here yeah. <laughs> compared to, compared to anywhere, that I, particularly from Canadian perspective, because I work there too. And it's, it's a good thing to do that, but I thought banks have a lot of people, everybody has learned their lessons in 2008 and it has been more reasonable and manageable market. However, COVID upturned a lot of, lot of that. And we are seeing that the office sector, as we know, we all know it, it is under a lot of, lot of stress right now, and it is impacting the lending industry in general and the lending for the new projects in particular, which are developer finance projects. So I'd say a housing is an issue across the board here too in the United States. We know we are lagging behind quite a bit on that and too affordable housing being a big issue too. Any major market you go, and the cost of this greening of economy is, is, is having a big impact, as we all know, too, particularly in some market is much severe than others. But we, have, we are blessed that way that you can go to South, for example, and, and continue to grow and you follow the, the pop and, the, and the population trends are in that direction. So construction follows that. So we'll somehow mitigate that. But however, the overall issues across the board, as you're seeing in Canada or anywhere else, are pretty much the same here, too. Yeah, and I think the challenge is, is to the earlier point, that's why I was asking Jack, I think the Middle East might not have it perfect, but the fact that governments are willing to take risks, I suppose that's a difference in governance as well. That willingness to take risks generates growth that in essence, 
in the long run works out for the good of everybody, even despite the risks. Whereas I find Canada is ultra conservative in terms of taking risks. And then the US, depending on which state you're in, tends to be a little bit restricted. And that's why we see these massive challenges in places like California with housing and whatnot. It's that different approach to governance. Whereas if we went out to our, if you look to Texas, it would have a much different challenge. And even Calgary and Alberta, those are, I would argue, Calgary and Alberta and Texas, very similar sort of mindset approach to things. They have a much different issue than you have in, say, Toronto, which, I, like I say, is like a living health development. So, gents, I want to thank you for today. You guys, it was a pleasure talking to you. But thank you, gents, for your contribution today. And look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.